We will take a look at some of the most interesting picks of the 2020 MLB draft and size up the biggest fantasy impacts. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not had uh, three go-throughs uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy. Three. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Friday, June 12th. I'm Al Melkier. I am here with Derek Van Riper and DVR, the uh, 2020 draft, the very abbreviated version of an MLB draft, is in the books. Uh, so now's a good time as any to go back over uh, some of the more notable picks. I mean, we'll pretty much stick to the, the early ones, but uh, you know, take a look at what they uh, might mean in terms of the players that were drafted, um, what kind of track they might be on. And also in some cases, maybe there being some collateral effects. So uh, let's uh, let's get right to it and start with um, round one, pick one Spencer Torkelson. Uh, we had Emily Walden on the show uh, on Wednesday. She, like a lot of other uh, uh, writers, um, did call this correctly, but the uh, the really interesting part, uh, I mean, it's an interesting pick for a whole bunch of reasons, but he was announced by the Tigers as a third baseman, even though he played, I don't know if it was exclusively or primarily, but played first base at Arizona State. So does this change anything for you in terms of um, you know his potential value if he does, in fact, stick as a third baseman? I mean, it would give him a slight bump if that's how it played out. But I think when I read scouting reports from people I trust, whether that's Keith Law from The Athletic or Eric Longenhagen from Fangraphs, you don't really find people who analyze players publicly saying that third base for Torkelson is a reality. They drafted him first overall because he's going to hit. Uh, it's strange to see a right-handed hitting first baseman go this early in a draft. The comp that I saw over at Fangraphs was... Uh, Andrew Vaughn, which is a pretty exciting player because he's quick to the big leagues and he does all of the things that we want a high floor, really good ceiling uh, masher to do. Probably not going to steal bases, but if he's a 270, 280 type hitter in his best years with 30 plus home run power and room for more than than all that, I mean, that's a really good player to add to the heart of a lineup. So definitely someone I'm excited about, but I'm not banking on Spencer Torkelson playing third base once he eventually makes his way to Detroit. Yeah, which if we're to take what Emily said uh, on on the recent episode, could be fairly soon. I haven't seen anything to indicate that he'll come straight to the the majors. Obviously, that's a rarity, but you know, maybe sometime in um, in 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 2021. And of course, you know, all kinds of question marks about whether there's going to be a 2020 season and what that might do, and and even if there's um, you know going to be an entire 2021 season. So uh, you know, we'll just put those contingencies to the side. Another thing that I saw that was interesting. And again, if you're, you're thinking that Torkelson maybe doesn't stick as a third baseman, then maybe this is a mood issue, but I did see from uh, Lynn Henning on Twitter, uh, Lynn Henning, the, uh, the Tigers beat writer that um, if Torkelson is at third base, that that probably pushes Isaac Paredes, uh, the third base prospect to left field. So again, if we just suspend disbelief for a moment and see Torkelson as a third baseman, does that change anything uh, for Paredes? And I'm going to listen even more carefully than usual DVR because I am a Paredes owner in a uh, in a dynasty league. Yeah, I think Paredes is one of those guys that even though he started playing, I think, shortstop when he first 
emerged in the minors as a member of the Cubs organization, I think people knew that probably wasn't where he was going to go long term. Uh, left field maybe was kind of on the docket for him anyway. And even if Torkelson doesn't play third base, there were probably some questions about Paredes' own ability to stick at that position. Uh, I think what makes Paredes interesting is that he draws plenty of walks. He puts a ton of balls in play. We're talking about a guy that had a 10.3% walk rate last year at AA Erie with an 11.1% walk rate. And he did that at age 20. So the age-to-level performance was outstanding. Uh, so we're talking about a guy that had a 133 WRC+, plus, does everything well, runs a little, has power, probably will develop even more power as he continues to grow. Um, kind of like the Torkelson problem in a different way where you know, Paredes is there to hit and the Tigers can move him around a little bit because they're so light, relatively speaking, on top-end position player talent right now. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's a, a different uh, look for the Tigers possibly in a couple of years. And, uh, you know, with a, a lot of these teams that are, you know, that that had early picks, um, you know, we'll talk about the Royals in, in a second too. I mean, it's, you know, g- could be a, a change uh, sooner than later for some of these teams that uh, that haven't done well in the last couple of seasons. Uh, picking second, speaking of that, uh, would be the Orioles. And they made a pick that surprised a lot of people. Uh, they took an outfielder, Heston Kerstad. And I've got to be real careful here with the pronunciation because I think already I've called him Keston. Uh, not on the <laughs> air yet, but uh, he's not a Keston. He's a Heston. Um, and going in the second overall pick... And overall DVR, the, the commentary that I saw on Kerstad was that it was a puzzling pick. They didn't understand why the Orioles reached for somebody that wasn't projected to be anywhere close to the number two overall pick. But there was an interesting take from uh, Eric Langenhagen of the uh, of uh, Fangraphs, and he was saying that uh, this could have been a, a cost savings measure and a way for the Orioles maybe to spend more on their their later picks. And it, um, Langenhagen's Analysis actually sounded a lot like a fantasy analysis. He was saying that there's a cluster, there were a cluster of draft prospects who all were rated um, 50 FV, and while Kerstad was considered to be maybe the the worst of that cluster, it is a cluster. There's maybe not a lot that separates the best from the worst, and so you know maybe they're getting somebody who's pretty close to the level of some of the other candidates for that number two pick, and and they may have saved themselves uh, enough money to to you know, make better picks later on. Right. And it all comes down to the bonus pool that teams have at their disposal. So if you take a player who wasn't projected to go quite that high, the thinking is that you can offer them a little bit less than the assigned value. Uh, for the second overall pick, the value was just under $7.8 million. But if you're able to sign a player like Kerstead at six and a half million or five million, whatever that number is, you take that savings and you can apply that to a pick later in the draft and take somebody who probably had a pretty firm college commitment, who had some uh, teams kind of be scared off because they didn't think they could give them enough. Maybe you can actually go over slot for a player that other teams let fall. So that was at least probably the thinking, at least part of the thinking. I think the other angle here is that they also believe in Kerstead. You don't take a player you don't like at two. Like That that seems kind of impossible. Um, so the question will be, on day two, do the Orioles find their other guys? They come away with the best group of players possible with the money they potentially save by going with Kerstead at two as opposed to the other players that went early in the first round. 
Yeah, and and while there were a, a lot of um, a lot of analysts that were kind of scratching their heads at this pick, uh, there does seem to be a consensus that Kerstad really really can hit. So uh, there certainly was something there for the Orioles to like. Now, to me, the most intriguing pick was actually the Marlins pick at number three, taking righty Max Meyer. He's already got an agreement uh, on a contract with the team, and. Um, both Keith Law and John Heyman said, uh, well, uh, Heyman, it was via Twitter and Keith Law very, uh, via a piece in The Athletic that Meyer might be up with the Marlins in 2020, which is really kind of hard to believe. And obviously, you know, who knows if anybody plays in 2020, but I could not think of somebody more recent than Brandon Finnegan going uh, to the majors in their uh, first season. And, and if I remember correctly, I think with Finnegan, it was pretty late in the season, maybe as like a September call up. Uh, so, I mean, what does your gut tell you on this? Uh, do you think we see Max Meyer if there's a 2020 season in in this this very season? I think it's possible because if you imagine a 2020 season in which there's no way to develop minor leaguers with regular competition, a partial minor league season. That's the assumption we've been making. You can make a case for Max Meyer as a, a guy who's big league ready out of the bullpen. He's got a high 90s fastball. He's got a 70-grade slider, according to the Keith Law report that I read on The Athletic. If you put those two pitches out there, that's a major league late-inning reliever from the jump. Now, obviously... Long term, the Marlins are going to develop him as a starter, and they hope that he becomes a good frontline starter. That's well within the range of outcomes. But I think the question the Marlins have to answer that every other team has to think about with their their early draft picks as well, if you have expanded rosters and you don't have minor league affiliates available, do you have guys that either go on your taxi squad so that way they're working out with some of your, your older players? And do you have a few exceptions, guys like Max Meyer, who could actually squeeze their way onto the 30-man roster at some point simply because you'd rather they work in a different role at the big league level than not have game competition at all. And it's going to be really interesting to see you know, what types of games, even if they're not formally organized, even are available for non-major league players as this summer plays out. But I think that's where the the Max Meyer like path to the big leagues really lies. It's that his role would be different and they would still try to develop him as a starter beyond this season. Yeah. And again, much like the Brandon Finnegan path. And um, you know, I'm sure we can think of others from a little further back uh, that went the same way. So yeah, not a whole lot of, um, even in that scenario, a lot of value to be had in 2020. Uh, obviously, lots of dynasty value for for everybody we're going to talk about. The fourth pick was the Royals, Asa Lacey, um, a left-hander who uh, joins a really impressive cadre of pitching prospects uh, in their minor league system. And so here's a team that, you know, sort of the, the flip side to the Tigers, the Tigers have all this great um, uh, pitching depth in the minors. Uh, Torkelson gives them a, a, a bat to really kind of lead the way on the offensive side. The Royals have uh, already, we've talked about this in, in regards to the um, alternate universe sim where the Royals have been doing well. Uh, you know, the offense is sort of promising already for the for the Royals, but the pitching's behind. But they've got reinforcements coming up, and, and now Lacey, Lacey becomes uh, one of those uh, young pitchers as well. Yeah, I mean, you add them to Daniel Lynch and Jackson Cower. I think those are the, the two guys that are probably the most highly regarded pitching prospects in the system right now. They got a few other interesting names as well: Brady Singer, Chris Bubich. Uh, but you know, they might actually have 
the makings of a future big league rotation two years away for the most part with a lot of those guys. I think that's that's where Lacey kind of adds one more key piece for them. Bobby Witt Jr., of course, was their first rounder last year. They've got Eric Pena as an excellent uh, outfield prospect as well. So this is a Kansas City system that uh, is quietly improving quite a bit, and they certainly need it. I mean, when you look at the big league roster, there are plenty of holes, but uh, they might not be as far away from contending again as you'd think if you were only looking at their big league roster. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we maybe have to start thinking a little differently about uh, some of these teams. Uh, The Blue Jays had the fifth pick. They took Austin Martin, who uh, I think a lot of people figured was going to go second. Uh, So he dropped a few slots from uh, where a lot of people expected him to go. But looking at Martin on forward DVR, um, who were some of the players that uh, draw the most interest from you, uh, whether it's from a, a dynasty perspective or maybe thinking, you know, 2021, you know, players that might be up sooner than later, uh, who's, who's worth, uh, spending a few moments on here. I think Austin Martin was a relative steal. It's hard to get a steal at five, but I mean, there were people and, and Keith law was among them who had Martin as the best player on the board. So when you get that player at five, you must feel really good as a front office. Uh, but I think, The player that I'm really interested in from a fantasy perspective is Nick Gonzalez. I think he's going to be pretty quick to the big leagues. A lot of these guys, relative to a normal draft class, because so many college players were selected, this class will get to the big leagues faster than most as a group just because of the way it's made up. But Nick Gonzalez hit a ton at New Mexico State, and there are some concerns about the competition Uh, And there's also some concern just about the park factors with it being a high altitude, very offensive friendly environment. He eased some of those concerns of what he did in the Cape Cod League. And I think this is the kind of guy that we should be really excited about for fantasy because it's the bat. It's all about the bat. He does it from a middle infield spot. Uh, You know, whether he eventually plays shortstop or not, I don't think even matters. I think he hits enough to be an impact fantasy player, maybe upon arrival. And I think maybe there are some people who are skeptical also because we're talking about a guy who's listed at 5'10 and 190 pounds. And to show as much power as he has, um, that kind of throws people off because it physically doesn't really line up. But I think Nick Gonzalez is a great like third or fourth option if you're starting to rank these players for keeper and dynasty purposes, trying to think about like how you'd prioritize them in those reserve draft settings. Um, a couple other names that are really interesting to me, uh, Zach Veen. I mean, he landed in the dream scenario in Colorado. So yeah. uh, he would have been interesting anywhere because I thought he was probably the best uh, high school position player in this class, just based on everything I had learned and read. And time will tell, of course, that actually plays out. So a little bit of a, a windfall for the the Rockies because most of the mocks I saw had him going to San Diego if he even fell that far. Uh, so I, I like Veen quite a bit. Uh, Mick Abel at 15, the top-ranked high school arm. Really interesting player. I mean, landing with the Phillies, eventually it's a difficult place to pitch, but really high-ceiling guy there. Uh, I was a little surprised to see Garrett Mitchell make it all the way to 20. I think he's the kind of guy that because he has top-of-the-scale speed, at least a a solid hit tool and, and some questions about power, you know, I think what he does profile-wise bodes really well for his long-term fantasy value. He could be a high-end source of stolen bases in an environment where stolen bases are increasingly difficult to come by. And he also might not take that long as a guy that just finished up a career at UCLA. So 
Um, definitely a lot of interesting names kind of sprinkled in throughout the round. Uh, there was one more guy that I thought, just from a fantasy perspective, he probably is a lot more interesting than where he was selected. And that's Aaron Sabato, who went to Minnesota with the 27th pick. We're talking about a guy who's 6'2", 230, and is a first baseman. So the margin for error is small, or like the threshold that he has to reach as a hitter is very high. But I like that fit. I like the Twins just finding a guy who's mashed in college and saying, you know what? Come join the Bomba squad, because he... He kind of fits like the mold of what yeah. they're doing there. Yeah, and I was thinking the same thing. Um, and just to go back to Mitchell, uh, you know, very important that uh, he he I think had the best video on draft night. I don't know if you caught that the dance video, uh, dance video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I had a feeling that yeah, man. I don't know about TikTok, Al. I, I just I don't know. I don't know if it's for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not sure it's it's for me, but you know, I I, I appreciate the dance moves so. Uh, I think with our, our hard hitting analysis, uh, there's really you know nowhere to go from there. So uh, we'll turn to our featured read, which is a great one. I mean, they always are, but uh, this one's from our colleague Nando Defino, and he voices a lot of the frustrations DVR that you and I have um, vented on this show in recent weeks. Uh, but Nando, you know, did it extremely well, um, and in, in the process, not only you know vented his spleen a little, but. Uh, you know, talked about some of the issues with uh, a potential 2020 season that uh, I think don't get discussed enough. So uh, I will leave it there as a bit of a teaser. Check it out. It's definitely worth your time. And the title, too, uh, it's The State of Fancy Baseball, Frustration, Hope, Annoy. Oh, hey, look, football. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that gives you a little bit of a taste of, of what it is. And uh, that's going to be all for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. Uh, for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melkier. We'll be back here again on Monday. 